Hello. I am a robot. You are listening to Strength in Depth. A 200% podcast. Hello everybody, and welcome to Strength in Depth, a 200% podcast. This is a story of non-league football, from the time when all football was non-league to the present day, when the top end of the non-league game is practically indistinguishable from the lower reaches of the football league. This is a love story, the story of a part of the game which is kept alive by the dedication of those who will not see it die. But it's also a story of corruption, greed and exclusion, and of clubs that live hand-to-mouth lives without such luxuries as fat television contracts and exorbitant ticket prices to fall back upon. For the start of the 1986-87 season, a big change was coming to non-league football. The Alliance Premier League was rebranding itself as the GM Vauxhall Conference, and for the first time, there would be automatic promotion and relegation to the Football League. This change would irrevocably alter the face of the non-league game, as clubs transformed themselves in pursuit of a place in the top 92. Previous winners would fall from grace, and new clubs would come along in their place, while one of the conditions of entry for a place in the league would lead to controversy, and it would start to feel at times as though what happened on the pitch was only one of the factors behind whether a club could progress or not. This is a story of non-league football from 1987 to 2004. The last day of the 1985-86 season, Scarborough travelled to North London for the final match of their Alliance Premier League season against Enfield. Enfield had won the league title for the second time in four years the previous week, and their 4-0 win on that last day left Scarborough in 13th place in the table. Few would have believed that, a year later, Scarborough would be a football league club. Automatic promotion and relegation with the Football League had been the aim of the Alliance Premier League upon its formation in 1979, and it had taken them just seven years to achieve this. At the end of the 1986-87 season, Scarborough, managed by a relative unknown by the name of Neil Warnock, became the first champions of the newly rebranded GM Vauxhall Conference, six points clear of Barnet who were now being heavily funded by their ticket-tout chairman, Stan Flashman, in pursuit of a football league place. Champagne flowed like water as Scarborough's success was toasted at the athletic ground today. They've broken two records on their way to the Vauxhall Conference League Championship. They went 23 consecutive games without a defeat and won 15 away matches, and all with a part-time squad. Only one player lives in the resort, the others are scattered all over Britain. The manager lives in Sheffield and the goalkeeper in Luton. He has a 550-mile drive to play in a home game. Well, I've spoke to a couple of players and everyone is just uh, over the moon. That's the old football saying and we all are. The players have 
there's down and outs really. We've been kicked out of clubs and left clubs to come to a non-league club and we've got what we deserve. Do you think you're good enough to survive in the fourth division? Oh, we can only we can only see. We've all we've, most of us have played in the football league and we've uh, you know got a few games in and I think we'll find out next year. We just hope we can uh, survive in the league and go on from there. Can you imagine it? The dream has come true. Um, I thought possibly gaining promotion and not playing might be an anticlimax, but uh, I can tell everybody it's not. Last night we had a tremendous evening and obviously we're all very pleased. Pleased for the town, pleased for the supporters. Scarborough's achievement at the end of the season, however, was rather overshadowed in terms of media attention by the battle to avoid the drop at the bottom of Division 4 of the Football League, which went to the last minute of the last day of the season and ended in Lincoln City's 66 consecutive years in the Football League drawing to a close. Lincoln had been relegated by a last-minute Torquay United goal, while in the other match at the bottom of the table, Burnley, who'd been champions of the Football League just 27 years earlier, squeezed their way to safety by beating Leighton Orient in front of more than 16,000 people at Turf Moor. Football League clubs with reservations about the introduction of promotion and relegation might have had their worst fears slightly allayed by Lincoln's quick return straight back. They were promoted back into the Football League in 1988 by two points from Barnet, with their match on the last day of the season against Wickham Wanderers, when a 2-0 win secured the league title, was watched by a conference record crowd of 9,432 people. Barnet only really had themselves to blame for finishing in second place though, with a poor run of just nine points from their last nine games, allowing Lincoln to pass them on the slipstream. Throughout the first few years of automatic promotion and relegation, Barnet watching became something of a spectator sport around the rest of the league itself. Ticket out Stan Flashman had bought the club for £50,000 in 1985, but under manager Barry Fry it looked for a couple of years as though they may never even make it into the Football League. After losing out to Scarborough in 1987 and Lincoln City in 1988, in 1989 they finished in 8th place, but they were back to the runners-up spot in 1990, this time behind another club getting promoted straight back at the first attempt, Darlington. Barnet were finally promoted into the Football League in 1991, following a dramatic win on the last day of the season at Fisher Athletic. After hearing that Flashman claimed that he wanted to build a football dynasty to rival that of AC Milan, Barry Fry was unimpressed, replying that Stan's talking out of his fat arse and should keep his trap shut. Well, I suggested that Barnett might need another goal to clinch it. What a clinching goal, and Bulls in it only again. That has to be a penalty, it is. Oh, a stupid piece of defending by Paul Roberts, who knocked the ball back too short to his goalkeeper, Paul Bastoff. Bastoff brought ball down and it's all over now what a dramatic ending to the game we couldn't have written the script any better could we and the goalkeeper i think has been sent off oh bastoff has said a word too many to the referee and he's been sent off the first sending off on sportscast 
two minutes from the end of the game, he brought down the goalkeeper, and now Paul Collins has had to go in goal. Bodic winning 3-2, Bull, he scored! Fisher 2, Bodic 4, and the fans spill over onto the pitch because they're safe now. Altrigham can't touch Barnett, Colchester can't touch Barnett, and Barnett are up. Rather than becoming the AC Milan of the Northern line though, Barnett would go on to have huge financial problems once in the Football League and would come close to both expulsion and insolvency in their first couple of years there. They would at least, however, have a happier stay there than Maidstone United, whose chairman Jim Thompson moved the club out of their London Road ground to Dartford in 1988. They won the 1989 GM Vauxhall Conference Championship, but folded at the start of the 1992-93 season becoming the last Football League club until Bury in 2019 to start a league season but not complete it. Maidstone's title win in 1989 was their second, with their first having come five years earlier. But by 1998, none of the clubs who had won the Alliance Premier League prior to the introduction of automatic promotion and relegation were still in the division. Altrincham, Winners of the first two APL titles were relegated in 1998, a year after Runcorn, the 1982 winners. Wealdstone, winners of the first non-league double in 1985, were relegated in 1988, and Enfield, winners in 1983 and 1986, followed two years later. While attendances in the GM Vauxhall Conference rose sharply during its first few seasons, this was more than counterbalanced by spiralling wage bills as ambitious clubs jostled for a place in the Football League. Financial problems were commonplace. Nuneaton Borough were demoted for financial irregularities at the end of the 1987-88 season, whilst Newport County, relegated from the 4th Division in 1988, failed to make it through their first season in non-league football folding altogether in February 1989 with 13 games of the season left to play and a debt of £330,000. Despite the initial success of the conference, a cold chill was blowing, both through the lower divisions of the Football League and the non-league game. Con Dynamos shot rapidly through the divisions until the conference denied them ground grading upon winning the Northern Premier League title in 1990. At this point, the owner, Graham White, pulled the financial plug and folded the club altogether. Perhaps the strangest story of rationalisation during these times, however, came from North East London. Nine-time Isthmian League and three-time FA Amateur Cup winners Leighton Stone merged with Ilford, who were founder members of both the Southern League and the Isthmian League, in 1979. Even though the merged club was successful on the pitch, winning the Isthmian League in 1982, the club moved to play at Walthamstow Avenue, with the money from the sales of two old grounds having gone. But with Walthamstow's Greenpond Road in a state of disrepair, the merged club of Leightonstone Ilford absorbed Walthamstow too, sold that ground and moved on to ground share at Dagenham. For the 1989-90 season, the name of the club was changed to Redbridge Forest, in preparation for a move to a new site bordering both Redbridge and Waltham Forest. 
However, the move to a new site collapsed and the club remained at Dagenham. Redbridge Forest won the Isthmian League in 1991 and with the ground now passing conference regulations, they were allowed to move up to the conference for the 1991-92 season. Redbridge Forest were in the conference for just one year, but they achieved a 7th place finish during the 1991-92 season. In the summer of 1992, however, they merged with Dagenham to form Dagenham and Redbridge. For every merger, closure or fall from grace throughout this period though, there was always another club ready to step into the breach. Wickham Wanderers were members of the Isthmian League from 1921 until getting promoted into the Alliance Premier League in 1985 and they then bounced between these two divisions before settling in the conference. 1990 however turned out to be the year that changed the history of this particular club forever. In February, they appointed Martin O'Neill as manager, but an even bigger change was coming just a few months later. The club's Lokes Park had caused them problems during the 1980s, having denied them promotion from the Isthmian League in 1983. It was time to move on, so in the summer of 1990, the club moved into Adams Park, having sold Lokes Park to the local health authority to expand an adjacent hospital. That summer, O'Neill's Nottingham Forest connections brought their full first team to Adams Park for the ground's opening fixture. After having been beaten to promotion in 1992 by Colchester United, who'd narrowly missed out on an immediate return to the Football League the year before, Wickham were promoted in style in 1993, winning both the GM Vauxhall Conference and the FA Trophy. In the summer of 1983, AP Lemington should have been celebrating. They'd been founder members of the Alliance Premier League four years earlier and although relegation had followed in 1982, they were set for a quick return as champions of the Southern League at the first attempt. Bad news, however, was just around the corner. Leamington had been formed as a works team in 1933 and the club's ground, the windmill, was owned by the factory Lockheed. When Lockheed were taken over by Automotive Products in 1973, the owners added themselves to the club's name, they'd been known as Lockheed Leamington until then, and gave themselves ownership of the ground. Although AP Leamington was successful enough to get into the Alliance Premier League, so AP decided to cash in on its assets and sell the ground for building. Because of this, AP Leamington could not guarantee a long lease on their ground and were denied promotion back on those grounds. The club was offered the ground for £250,000, an amount of money it would never have been able to raise. 
and without long-term arrangements being in place for the summer of 1983, the club was denied promotion. Manager Graham Orner and several players left for Kidderminster Harriers, who were promoted as runners-up instead. In 1988, Leamington voluntarily dropped to the Midland Combination League. A decade on, the spectre of ground grading came home to roost for Kidderminster. The 1993-94 season was spectacular for the club. In the FA Cup, they beat Birmingham City and Preston North End, before a crowd of 8,000 packed out their Agborough Stadium to see them beaten narrowly by West Ham United in the fifth round. In the league, they did even better, winning the conference title by three points from Kettering Town. Winning the league, however, was not enough to win Kidderminster Harriers' promotion into the Football League that season. Agborough had recently undergone redevelopments, and it had safely held FA Cup matches against both Preston North End and West Ham United without incident. The West Ham match had been attended by more than double the size of a crowd that the Harriers would have expected in the Football League. None of this made any difference to the league, however, Promotion was denied. The following year, the same thing happened to Macclesfield Town. Macclesfield had been the first winners of the Northern Premier League in 1969 and had been conference members since 1988. They began building a new cantilever stand at a cost of £85,000 in preparation for promotion into the Football League, but the stand was delivered too late. Clubs had to have their facilities ready by the end of December of the season that they were hoping to go up, and Macclesfield had missed that deadline, just as Kidderminster had the year before. The failure of Macclesfield's application made even less sense than Kidderminster's, though. They'd had Chester City playing league football there for two seasons, while Chester's new Diva Stadium was being completed just a couple of years earlier. The Football League stated that the rules had changed, and that Macclesfield didn't meet their current criteria. Their position was so entrenched that they even refused an interview of the BBC's football focus on the matter. It's shedding its old silk town image. Both its people and its football club are prospering. Macclesfield is fast becoming one of the region's boom towns. Now the local football club is in with a serious chance of obtaining league status. Nine points clear at the top of the GM Vauxhall Conference. You'd think only a calamitous second half of the season could deny them promotion this year. But there's more to it than that. You see, although this new £85,000 cantilever stand will be finished soon, it's too late to satisfy the Football League's new criteria on ground safety. When we realised that we were not going to meet the deadline, we then asked them if we could approach Chester City with a view to ground sharing, which is, which is a provision made within their criteria. They, uh, in their wisdom, have, uh, have refused us. Uh, as they say, Chester is too far away from Macclesfield and is not within the conurbation of Macclesfield. But it was all right for Chester to come here and play. Yes, well, they say the criteria has changed since then. Do you think that's unfair? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. The following season, it was the turn of Stevenage Borough. Stevenage had been promoted three times in four years to reach the conference in 1994, but when work to their Broad Hall Wayground was not completed by December 1995, they became the third club in a row 
to be denied promotion into the Football League. It was beginning to look a little like the league had decided that perhaps it didn't like the look of this automatic promotion and relegation lark after all. There was, however, more to this than met the eye. It was suggested that a delay by the council, who owned the ground, in forwarding a large chunk of the £1.6 million required to bring the ground up to scratch, had been a considerable factor. But when Stevenish took the Football League to court over the matter in 1996, something came up which didn't do the reputation of the club a great deal of good. It was a mixed result in court for Stevenage and the clubs of the GM Vauxhall Conference. Although the judge was unable to accept their plea, because a precedent had been set in earlier cases involving Kidderminster Harriers and Macclesfield Town, he accepted many of their arguments, and the league subsequently shifted its deadline three months further back towards the end of the season. But evidence given in court by Torquay United who had retained their league status in 1996 because the conference champions had not fulfilled their ground requirements, led to a Football Association inquiry imposed a suspended £25,000 fine on Stevenage. The FA, with the benefit of recorded telephone conversations, confirmed the allegations by Torquay's chairman, Mike Bateson, that Stevenage had attempted to obtain a £20,000 incentive for their players to win the title, even though they had missed the ground improvement deadline. Kidderminster, Macclesfield and Stevenage would all eventually get into the Football League. Kidderminster Harriers were promoted as champions in 2000, and stayed in the league for five years before being relegated back in 2005. Macclesfield Town won the title in 1997, and stayed in the Football League until 2012 before being relegated back after many years of struggle. They won the National League title in 2018, but, amid chaotic goings-on behind the scenes at the club, were demoted back in 2020 by a points deduction handed down by the Football League for financial irregularities. They folded soon afterwards. Stevenage Borough had to wait the longest of all. They finally achieved promotion into the Football League in 2010, and promptly dropped the Borough from their name. They remain a Football League club to this day, though many would argue that they rode their luck at the end of the 2019-20 season, when the expulsion of Berry and Macclesfield Town's points deductions kept them up, even though they'd only won three of their 36 league matches at the point when the league season was curtailed. Non-league football also retained its capacity for innovation throughout this period, but as ever, these experiments were not always successful. The conference had introduced two points for a home win and three points for an away win between 1983 and 1986, but even closer alignment of the Football League couldn't temper their urge to tinker. Ever the innovators, in their own minds at least, At the start of the 1987-88 season, the league tested an experimental rule change whereby no attacker could be offside directly from a free kick. Again, 
This was an attempt to coerce clubs into more attacking football. Scarborough had won the previous season's league title by scoring just 64 goals in 42 matches, for example. But again, the idealism of the game's administrators soon ran into difficulties when set against the realities of two football teams both desperately trying to score goals while stopping the opposition from doing so. The problem with this rule change became almost immediately apparent. Free kicks from almost anywhere on the pitch from the centre circle on were greeted with the somewhat undignified sight of almost every player on the pitch swarming around the goal line, jostling for position as the ball is launched into the melee. Fun though such chaos might have been to watch once or twice, players, supporters and managers quickly tired of matches becoming little more than successions of chaotic set-pieces and the idea was laid to rest after just a few weeks of the season. And six years later, the tinkering came from above. The idea of taking a throw-in seems so essential to the nature of football that it seems scarcely believable that anyone would ever have wanted to tinker with it. But this is exactly what happened in the Diodora Isthmian League during the 1994-95 season, when they were invited to trial a controversial new initiative from FIFA, kick-ins. Having tried out this new experimental rule in Japan at the 1993 World Youth Cup, the International Football Association's board, who determined the laws of the game, were keen to experiment for a wider audience. So, following a meeting held in March 1994, the same one at which it was decided to sanction the use of golden goals, as seen at Euro 96, along with leagues from Belgium and Hungary, the Diazora League was invited to become guinea pig in a season-long kicking experiment, under which players could kick the ball back into play rather than throwing it, provided they raised their arms first. The initiative was supposed to add an extra dimension to attacking play, but it automatically became unpopular with players and managers to the extent that some clubs simply refused to do it, with one manager, St Albans City's Alan Cochrane, telling his players that their contracts would be terminated if they took a kick in. As the season wore on, more and more managers began to copy Cochrane's lead, Teams that did adopt it only seemed to use it to launch the ball as far upfield as they could, and because the kick-ins were so similar in nature to free kicks, the flow of matches became increasingly disrupted throughout the season as the kick-in became used as a spoiling tactic. The idea wasn't completely without its merits. More goals were scored in all four divisions of the Diodora League than in the previous season, with increases growing the lower the division. 6% in the Premier Division, 8% in the first, 10% in the second, and 11% in the third. These increases were only to be expected with, in effect, twice as many corners and free kicks as before. At the end of March 1995, each club was asked to complete a questionnaire on the success of the trial. The results were taken by the FA to the next IFAB meeting at the Turnbury Hotel a few weeks later, where the experiment was discussed. Unsurprisingly, kick-ins were never heard of again after this.
Meanwhile, Wembley continued to provide a pool to all non-league clubs through the FA Trophy and the FA Vars. The conference had started to dominate the trophy from the early 1980s on and through to the end of the century, crowds continued to hold up well in these competitions. They weren't negatively affected by the beginning of automatic promotion and relegation because often the relegated clubs haven't played there before many more times than the non-league clubs. Colchester United, for example, were estimated to have taken 20,000 supporters to Wembley for their 3-1 win against Witten Albion in 1992. Crowds remained buoyant throughout the 1990s, with only a couple of exceptions, most notably in 1996, when the length of journey down from Cheshire depressed the crowd for a final between Macclesfield Town and Northwich Victoria, to a record low trophy final crowd of 8,675. The two most successful sides in the competition during this era were Woking, who won the competition three times in four years between 1994 and 1997, and Kingstonian, who won it in both 1999 and 2000. Woking's three winners made them joint record winners alongside Telford United and Macclesfield Town. The FA Vars, on the other hand, featured different winners every year between 1989 and 1999, a reflection of the diversity and breadth of talent across the lower levels of non-league football. More curiously, the FA Vars was won by a team with Town in the name every year between 1992 and 2000, with Wimborne, Bridlington, Dis, Arlsey, Brigg, Whitby and Taunton, who did it twice in a row, lifting the cup in successive years. At the start of the new millennium, however, came the biggest challenge that cup football for non-league clubs had faced since the abolition of the FA Amateur Cup a quarter of a century earlier. Wembley was being knocked down to be replaced, and the last match to be played there was the international between England and Germany on the 7th of October 2000. The FA Cup and League Cup finals were moved to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, but the FA Trophy and FA Vars did not follow them. The FA Trophy final moved to Villa Park in Birmingham. Attendances suffered quite a bit, but held up better than some had been expecting, and even hosted one of the biggest surprise results in tournament's history in 2004, when Bursko of the Northern Premier League beat Tamworth of the National League by two goals to one to lift the trophy. The FA Vars led a more itinerant life during this period, with finals being played at Villa Park, St Andrews, White Hart Lane and the Berlin Ground, one unusual record was set by AFC Sudbury of the Eastern Counties League, who reached the final three years in a row from 2003 to 2005, but lost every time and to three different clubs, Brigtown, Winchester City and Digcott Town. A run that started last September against Carterton ended like this. Didcot Town 
2005 FA Vars winners after a 3-2 win against Sudbury. But earlier in the day, the mood was very different as thousands made their way from Oxfordshire to Tottenham's White Hart Lane. This was Sudbury's third final in successive years, but they'd lost the previous two. For Didcot, it was unquestionably the biggest game in their history. Fans were divided over who'd win. 3-1 to Didcot! 3-1 to Sudbury. 2-1 Didcot. Maybe draw extra time. In 2002 came another big change to the top of the non-league game, with the introduction of a second automatic promotion place between the conference and the football league. The second promotion place would be decided through playoffs, and the decision had almost as transformative an effect on the division as the introduction of the first promotion place had a decade and a half earlier. A club with a name synonymous with the non-league game, Yeovil Town, won the conference title in 2003, but the playoff winners were Doncaster Rovers, who beat Dagenham and Redbridge in the final at Stoke City's Britannia Stadium. Doncaster's story over the previous five years had been instructive for all lower division and non-league football clubs. They'd been relegated from the Football League in 1998 under the ownership of Ken Richardson, a man later described by detectives as the type who would trample a two-year-old child to pick up a 2p bit. Richardson had hired arsonists to burn down the main stand at Doncaster's Bellevue ground in order to try to collect the insurance money. There were many who doubted whether Doncaster could survive non-league football, such was the condition of the club when it landed in the conference. But after a difficult start to the season in 1998, they did survive a second successive relegation, and under new owners who were willing to put a little money into the club to tend it back to health, their performances improved year on year until they took advantage of the introduction of playoffs to get promoted back after having finished their season in third place in the table. The following year came a further structural change to the non-league game. The football conference was expanding, adding two regional divisions called the Conference North and the Conference South, and everybody within the non-league game had to reshuffle in order to accommodate this. Unsurprisingly, this didn't come without controversy, and the biggest controversy of all came in the Isthmian League. There were extensive playoffs to decide who would end up where, and having secured the Division 1 South title on the last day of the season, Lewis won a preliminary playoff away to Yedding, the Division 1 North champions, the following Monday, even though the league had originally stated that lots would be drawn to decide which teams had home advantage, and two days later, a 4-1 victory away to Basingstoke in the semi-finals put them through to the final. Lewis left, believing they would play Kingstonian, winners of the other match in their half of the playoff draw, but accepting that they would yield home advantage because Kingstonia had finished in a higher league position. The following day, though, Isthmian League changed their minds, stating that Lewis had to play away to Bedford Town because they were the highest-placed finisher of the four remaining clubs in the playoffs. Lewis protested immediately to the FA that the league was disregarding the model of a pre-drawn group set out the previous July, and the FA agreed, switching their opponents and giving them a home match at the dripping pan.
Kingstonian were equally unimpressed by all of this, as AFC Wimbledon, their landlords, were using their King's Meadow ground, they had hired Harrow Burroughs Earlsmead to stage their final, and had arranged stewarding, catering and programmes. Under these ridiculously complicated circumstances, a crowd of just over a thousand people did well to find the match at all. Lewis had fly-posted shops in the town with stop-press posters, and they eventually won the game by a goal to nil and were placed into the newly formed Conference South. With the formation of these two new divisions, non-league football arrived at the shape that it still has in 2020. Even in this relatively settled position though, the challenges facing non-league clubs would continue to grow as the 21st century wore on. Vultures were increasingly circling small clubs, many of whom owned valuable pieces of real estate, even though they could barely pay their own players and were largely staffed by volunteers. Next week on Strength in Depth, we'll take a look at how these challenges came to manifest themselves, and we'll be telling the story of how it started to become clear that, for non-league football clubs, from the start of the 1990s on, perhaps it was the supporters themselves who could offer clubs the best chance of stability and continuing existence in a game that, at all levels, was becoming increasingly fixated upon money, to the near exclusion of almost everything else. (laughs) 